Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and today I am joined by Mike T. Nelson. Um, Hopefully many of you will know Mike. I was just saying how I come across his work now and then as he dips his head into kind of more of the physique realm, which is what this podcast is more so focused on, and I'm always really enjoying it. And so I wanted to get Mike on to spread some of that knowledge with a lot of you. And uh, to give you a bit of background behind Mike, he's a PhD in exercise physiology, BA in natural science, MS in biomechanics. He's an adjunct professor and member of the American College of Sports Medicine and has dedicated 18 years to understanding, and it might be more than 18 years now, to understanding and developing techniques to get the human body to best drop fat, get stronger and healthier. So I think that kind of sells you quite well to why people would want to listen to you. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And awesome to be on the program here with you. And something I wanted to start with and something I thought was incredibly refreshing was on one of your latest articles, you actually, before you started kind of diving into any of the content, you just talked about kind of the pissing matches for to actually <laughs> quote it on your article, actually, to be fair, yeah. um, and how you're not about that kind of life, for, to say it like that, um, and rather you're about delivering solutions. And I thought that was a really refreshing kind of ideology to have and I'd love to hear maybe some more thoughts on that or anything that kind of made you come out to say that and anything you've seen that kind of, I don't know, is disappointing to you and the direction you like to take things. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of sort of human nature that everything, especially online and used to be YouTube comments and now it's Facebook and, you know, whatever. It's rarely like in-person type stuff. Um, you get the kind of two camps that, you know, kind of go at each other back and forth and you know, rarely is it actually based on data, you know, and I have good friends that I mean, might disagree with some of the stuff that they say, but we can sit down and actually have a you know good conversation about it. And okay, here's what I think on this. Here's what I think on that. Here's the data I've seen on this. So here's the data I've seen on this. Have you seen this? Have you seen that? And we may not probably agree at the end of the conversation, but at least it gives me something to look into and go, oh, okay, I guess I hadn't really thought of it that way. I'm going to go, you know, look into this uh, direction. Where I think a lot, not a lot, but some stuff online can be set up more as who is the best debater. And I am a horrible debater. I'm not trained in debate. I didn't take any of those classes. I don't really know anything about it. Um, kind of sort of on purpose. Uh, I like to think more of just education. Mm -hmm. But here's what I think. Uh, here's how I got to what I think. And here's some of the data of what I've based that on. So maybe you completely disagree on it. That's cool. But here's my line of thought. And then here's the references. Most of the time, you can go in and look and say, oh, OK. And then if you have questions, you can email and say, hey, what about this or what about that? Oh, yeah, I probably didn't explain that real well. Or, oh, wow, that's new. I haven't seen that before. I haven't considered that. So hopefully then you can actually have a good, uh, I'd say, higher quality conversation on it that I think actually makes everybody better. Because I think at the end of the day, everyone's trying to get to the same thing. It just gets kind of easy to get, you know, bogged down in all the other kind of monkey motion in between, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think people can become kind of almost dogmatic where you see it with nutrition. That's a prime example oh, yes. of like camps. And then they just end up to the point of which they're just ignoring good data and good conversation like people like yourself and well all the guests we get on the podcast is kind of like we're trying to move further towards the truth and if that means some of the things you used to think are maybe wrong then I, I say all the guests are open to moving forward with that and I just think that's a really refreshing mindset to have 
Yeah, thank you. And that's uh, from a little bit of marketing side, that's actually why I did more stuff on heart rate variability and metabolic flexibility, partially because those are what I studied during my PhD, so I'm biased in that direction. But also part of it was if I'm talking about metabolic flexibility, that gives me the freedom to talk about any type of fuel, whether it's carbs, fats, lactate, protein. Protein's not really used as a fuel, but, you know, um, instead of saying, oh, I'm the keto guy or I'm the high carb guy or the low fat guy or whatever. Eh, I think anytime you do that, you kind of have already sort of bend yourself into one area. And I get from a messaging standpoint that that's probably easier because mm. that's what people really want to hear. It's like, tell me the thing that's true. You know, no one wants to hear a complex story. Tell me a simple story. I want this to be true. Where if I kind of, it gives me a way to kind of sneak past people and say, oh, I'm just talking about metabolic flexibility. All right. So I kind of give them the one thing that I'm talking about, which in reality kind of gives me leeway to talk about a more complex story. And then hopefully I can kind of, get them with the one thing that they're kind of expecting, right? So kind of grab onto the fish that way and hopefully reel them in and hopefully we can have a conversation yeah. then. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the especially the HRV stuff, I think is becoming more and more popular because it's yeah. just easier ways to like the Fitbits and different kind of gadgets yep. are giving you data. And I think it's, there are, not that there's two camps, but there's definitely people are, who are still not convinced by it. And I think you're more so in favor of it. And I think that would be something really interesting to dig into. And I think a lot of the listeners probably aren't quite aware what HRV is even saying or telling us. So I don't know if you could just give us a bit of a, like a 101 of what does that even mean? Yeah. So heart rate variability is exactly what it says. It's the variability of your heart rate. So whenever we think heart rate, we go, oh, what's my Polar saying? What's my Garmin watch? Or what are all these things saying? And that's an average of the heart rate. So you can just imagine for a second that if we do some hand waving and some complicated math from that same raw data, if we collect it in a good manner and very specific manner, we can extract kind of the next level down of information. So if you look and go, okay, well, at a high level, how is heart rate actually governed? It's governed by something called your autonomic nervous system. Your autonomic nervous system generally has two branches, one that is the parasympathetic side, which is the rest and digest generally slows down your heart rate. So it's like if I'm stepping harder on the brake of my car, my car is going to slow down. Now, the other side is the sympathetic side, classically kind of called the fight or flight or potentially freeze. That's like the accelerator on the car. If I jam down on the gas pedal, I jam down on the sympathetic side, my heart rate is going to go up. And all the time, our body is running this kind of balance of both of them. And when we look at the status of the autonomic nervous system, it'll tell us, okay, how much are we kind of parasympathetic and how much are we kind of on the sympathetic side? So heart rate variability is a way to tell us the status of that autonomic nervous system and how this gets into looking at recovery and maybe prediction of performance, depending on what performance you look at and a bunch of other things. It gives us that next level down past just resting average heart rate, which is still good data. Right. Even looking at heart rate recovery has got some very good data on it. So by having that next level down, it gives us an indication of what is the autonomic nervous system status. And it's been around for quite a while. It was originally, I'd say, classically developed by the Russians back in the 60s for their space program. And you can look at there's some really earlier data um, beyond that. There used to be a Chinese medicine saying that if their heart rate is very monotone, that he has like a few days left to live. 
right? So the concepts have been around for thousands of years. You can look up uh, a great study uh, by Dr. Billman, uh, George Billman. Uh, just look up the history of HRV. It goes into a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but the Russians, when they send people up in space, they're like, oh, wow, how do we monitor to see if they're going to be healthy or not? Because if you think back about how you could transmit data back then, several decades ago, very, very limited data you could send, like literally a few bytes at a time, and it took a long time. So what they figured out was, hey, if we just send the raw data for the heart rate signal, so literally we've got our P-wave, which is atrial, and we've got our QRS, the big, sharp, pointy complex, and we take the peak of that R-wave, that, tarp, that top pointy thing, to the next top pointy thing, and we look at that distance, and we can measure that super accurately, that'll actually give us our heart rate. But how those things vary just a tiny bit in milliseconds, that allows us to calculate a heart rate variability. So what they did is they just transmitted those raw, it's called a raw RR interval. And they could literally transmit three or four bytes of data at one time, run the analysis on the ground, and go, oh, wow, okay, their HRV, the status of their autonomic nervous system, is pretty good, right? So we can generally infer they're probably doing okay. Or, holy crap, they got really stressed out for some reason. Ooh, ooh what's going on, right? Um, so that's kind of where it started. If you fast forward through a bunch of different iterations. So when I started doing this in the lab, oh God, almost a decade, over a decade ago now, you had to come into the lab. We had to take all this fancy equipment. We had to hook you up and we had to do a bunch of, you know, monkey motion stuff to get the actual data. I had to write a MATLAB program to extract it. Yak, 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 yak. Um, and it was not super easy. Uh, Omega Wave had just kind of come out around that time, uh, which is still very expensive. They didn't have a mobile unit. There wasn't really any other way to get it. Um, so iFleet, which is one of the first apps that came out that did that, instead of Athlete, it's iFleet, uh, had it where you could run it just on your phone. That was maybe six or seven years ago. So once I saw that, I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. I can get it on my phone now for literally very inexpensively for less than 100 bucks. Like the used equipment we had picked up to run it in the lab was around 20 grand. And you had to come to the lab in order to do it. I can roll out of bed. I can get the measurement. Oh, cool. Now I can start measuring my online clients who are in very remote locations. I can get their HRV. It'll take about three minutes. Uh, it turns out studies showed that it was pretty accurate for that app. And then it just kind of is sort of expanded from there. And then now with you know watches and every other feature, they figured out, oh, we could put heart rate variability on it and have this new feature. But there's some caveats, which I'm sure we'll get into how that may not be the best idea. But now because it's being pushed everywhere, it's becoming, I think, kind of like Malcolm Gladwell calls it, kind of the tipping point, right? Initially, a fax machine is a cool idea, but if nobody has a fax machine, it's pretty worthless, right? And then all of a sudden, everyone had a fax machine. You're like, oh, wow, this new technology is super cool, even though it had been around for a while previous to that. Cool. And I think something that would be a value is, it, are we looking for um, kind of quite, like in terms of what would be like a good indication that you're well-recovered versus an indication that you're poorly recovered? Um, would you like to explain kind of what the difference would be? Yeah. So at rest, if we were to look at just a heart rate and say, okay, we're doing a, a cool conversation here and we can accurately measure your heart rate. Let's say you're 60.5. The next beat's 63.1, 59.8, 61.2. It's kind of oscillating a little bit around this average. So that's what's called fine scale variability. 
And that's actually a marker of health, especially at rest. That's a marker for parasympathetic activation. So in general, the healthier you are, you want more of that fine scale variability. When you become more sympathetic, that fine scale variability gets kind of crushed. So you may be 60.1, You may have the same average, but that variability went from about here to about there. And when we measure it, we're talking very, like, very small differences. And we know, so I did uh, 12 years working for a medical technology company. Uh, we did implantable devices. So I did implantable pacemakers and defibrillators. So like the big thing you'd see that they would shock people with. Same idea, but entirely implantable. And what they found was by measuring heart rate variability, it gave them a really good status of heart failure status. It was very, even in some cases, prognostic. We could kind of predict the future a little bit and look to see, looking at this and some other metrics, oh boy, when are you going to maybe decompensate and have to you know, take a run to the hospital so they could maybe do some type of intervention beforehand. And we know that if your HRV is very poor, by poor meaning you've lost some of that fine scale variability, you're more on the sympathetic side, uh, your risk for you know, cardiac issues goes up and just general health is going to go down. So how this relates to people who are generally pretty healthy, generally have pretty good HRV in terms of overall health scale, but because it's very accurate, we can now see changes on a day-by-day -day basis. So if you went out into the gym yesterday and just you know, smashed yourself doing 10 by three on like three big lifts for whatever reason, that's probably very, very sympathetic type training, right? More strength, speed, things of that nature. In general, people in the next day will see their HRV become more sympathetic. We've lost a little bit of that fine scale variability. Granted, it's a temporary thing because we put this massive stressor on your system. So your body is going to become more sympathetic as it's trying to handle that stressor. And then over time, it'll kind of come back down to baseline. So we can look to see the effect of different types of stressors on the body. Now, the good and the bad thing about HRV is HRV is very good at taking that snapshot of the autonomic nervous system. So it's very good at picking up the influence of other types of stressors. The downside is it can't tell you what stressor. It could be a psychologic stressor. It could be your nutrition sucked. You had an argument with your girlfriend, your spouse. Your dog is sad and sick and thrown up on your carpet, so you feel bad. It could be any one of a myriad of different things. It could just be your training. Um, and that's where I think a lot of the controversy gets into. So if you don't have the proper context of when the HRV was grabbed to make sure that's accurate, and then also what else is going on with the athlete, HRV in a vacuum by itself, in my opinion, isn't very useful. Is it good at saying you were more stressed or less stressed? Absolutely. But of course, with coaching, whether you're doing physique, athletes, performance, whatever, the next question then is always, okay, well, what stressor was it? And then what do I do about it? I think that's where a lot of the controversy exists. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I guess it sounds kind of like it's, as long as you have a good measuring device, more of an objective measure of total body stress. Yeah, it's what I like about it, especially for online athletes, uh, remote coaching is I don't have a very good way of getting an objective 
uh, quantification of the status of their nervous system or even their body at that point, right? You could do daily emails, you could do some palm scores, you could do all sorts of other stuff, and those are useful, but being more of a engineer slash exercise phys nerd, I want, like, what is, um, without any other, I want it to be as objective as possible. Now, there are ways that HRV may not be super objective, depending on how it's gathered. Um, and then I also want the context. So I want quantitative data, and I also still want qualitative data, right? So quantitative data, what do I get with HRV? I get resting heart rate, which still tells us some pretty good information. And then I get status of their autonomic nervous system. And if I do this on a daily fashion, I can now also see changes in that. Is it going up? Is it going down? Are they becoming more parasympathetic? Are they becoming more sympathetic? And then, like, I use the iFleet app. I use an Aura Ring and a couple other things. But, like, on the iFleet app, it'll say slide these little switches, in general, the direction of how you feel. So it'll ask about energy, nutrition, uh, recovery, muscle soreness. There's, like, seven or eight of them. And they just move a little, you know, slider switch. How stressed do you feel? Very relaxed or very stressed? And so I can then look and say, okay, cool. Ah, your HRV shows me that you're more stressed. The first thing I'm going to look at is the context. Oh, wow, you self-reported your sleep's been dog crap for three days. Okay, all your other, you know, context indicators haven't really changed much. I know what your training is. I know if you did the training or not. I'm thinking it's probably sleep, right? Um, or I may look and go, oh, yeah, I've been traveling and my nutrition's just been crap for three days. Okay, nothing else changed. It's probably what it is, right? And of course, you get complex situations of, I don't know, we tried this new training and, you know, I just didn't sleep good the past two days. Hmm. Now we got two things that may have changed. Eh, not really sure what it is, right? And then you even get into more woo-woo stuff of like, most people are not very conscious of the stress that they're even under. I see some people where HRV says they're becoming massively stressed. They report they don't feel any more stressed at all. So then I'm scratching my head going, oh, okay, what's going on here? Maybe they're just not very good at perceiving the level of stress that they're under, right? So maybe it's an awareness issue. Um, so what I like about it is it gives us both of those things. It takes about three to five minutes maybe total to run. Uh, last thing on that too, when you do it, you probably only want to do it first thing in the morning or have something gather the data overnight, right? Because we're grabbing that snapshot in time, we want that snapshot to be after the most stable period that we can find. And for most people, that's going to be sleep, right? Unless you did too much ambient and you made bacon and eggs at four in the morning and don't remember any of it, you probably sleep is going to be a very reproducible type thing. As soon as you get up, you're moving around, maybe drink coffee, maybe have fluid. You start having more other thoughts, which can affect it. So we want to grab that after the most stable period, which is just first thing in the morning. And then most people are going to grab that reading in a seated position, which gets into some stuff on parasympathetic saturation and different things. Um, but if you do that, uh, odds are your data is going to be pretty good. And then from there, it's up to the coach to interpret it, right? And I think one of the other controversies is people are like, oh, HRV, well, it, it, oh, it was red. It said I can't train. It's like, no, it didn't say you can't train. It just said you're definitely more stressed. Now, are there possible risks of you going to the gym when you're very, very stressed, especially if you're going to do Olympic lifting or some complex motor task or try to annihilate on chest day? Probably. But there's no little guy that comes out there and, you know, puts handcuffs on you and straps you to your chair and says, OK, do nothing today. Right. It's just like anything else. Like, would you 
would you go to the gym and just pick random dumbbells without numbers on them? Probably not, right? You're going to go, okay, for bench press, I use 50-pound dumbbells, and I use 60s, 80s, 100s, whatever. You have a way of quantifying the stressor that you're putting on it. HRV is just a way to try to quantify that status of your autonomic nervous system. Excellent. I think the thing that really was key to me there was like the context. You're gathering it as a yeah. data point with a load of other data. It's kind of, it reminds me of uh, the people saying kind of like the scale is the enemy and like, oh, if I'm up on the yeah. scale, I need to reduce my calories. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. Take into context maybe the entire week. Maybe you've been under stress and that's why you're holding on to water or whatever it might be. Uh, so I think that's really interesting. And if out of interest, have you found any yeah. the people you work with is there any particular clients you found it to be particularly helpful for and other ones particularly less helpful for? Yeah, that's a really good question. So early on, my thought was, okay, uh, this is going to be just for the elite athletes of the elite athletes, right? They got all their shit together. You know, we're going to use this. We're going to monitor their training stress. Woo! It's going to be amazing. We're going to create freaks. Well, it was helpful, but it wasn't like all things. There's no single thing you're going to do that's the, the be all end all type thing. Uh, definitely helpful. Um, but when I started it, I was like, well, the, even now, there still isn't a ton of literature looking at daily HRV readings. We definitely have more now than what we've had before. But it's not like there's thousands of studies to pull from because the technology to get a daily indicator is relatively new. And again, it's becoming more widely accepted. But if you look how long it takes a study to be published, you know, some of the work I did, and I was trying to get it done as soon as I could, from when I started the study to when it showed up in print was like four years, right? So it's a pretty big lag you're going to deal with looking at published research. Um, so initially I thought, okay, elite athletes or high-level athletes definitely useful. But I wanted more experience with the data, so I just started doing it on everybody. And what I figured out was that if your training stress is your number one stressor and your lifestyle stress is down here, HRV is a little bit easier to use, right? Because you're dealing with this one main stressor. Again, the reality, even in more elite athletes, that's rarely the case, right? So if you've ever done nutrition on, I would say, higher level athletes, like the first time I did some of that stuff, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to be talking about like, you know, increasing their beta alanine from two grams to six grams a day. And you look at it and you went, dude, you ate fast food twice today and skipped breakfast. And you're like an elite sprinter. Like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> it was like very interesting to say the least. Um, so I started doing it on everybody with other people. What you find is their lifestyle stress is probably their bigger stressor than actually their training. So you can just kind of initially in my head, I bend them in two different camps, right? So if your lifestyle stress is up here, I found HRV was still useful to drive lifestyle changes, right? So the big one with that was sleep. So I've had conversations ad nauseum. I'm sure you have many other people listening with clients about sleep. Sleep's kind of the new big sexy thing, yeah. and for good reason. Tons of physiologic rationale for sleep. Absolutely, 100% agree. Uh, the book by Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep, phenomenal book. Loved it. Awesome stuff. But anyone who's had a conversation about sleep with their clients is like, I'd rather put my head through a wall, right? Because at the end of the day, what are you asking the client to actually do? Oh, that two hours of time you spend watching Netflix at night to relax. Screw that. Don't do that. Just go to bed earlier. Right. So now you're asking them to make a value judgment and massive change on their lifestyle. Very, very hard to do. Definitely more of a long term thing. So initially, when I was talking about sleep, it was just like pounding my head through a wall. And eventually, I just got so thrust frustrated. 
I just said, okay. So I looked at their HRV, I looked at their self-report of sleep, and I just graphed the two, right? So HRV showing massively stressed, sleep definitely going down. And I literally just put it in the graph and sent him a note and said, hey, what do you think's going on? That's all I did. I sent him that email <laughs> and I still do that to this day. And it, like the same client who we've been talking about sleep for six months looks at it and goes, oh my God, like you're telling me like I, when I don't sleep, I get really stressed. This is crazy. I never realized this. You know, in, in our head, we're going, how could you not, how could you miss this? You know, but seeing numbers and seeing data for some people, again, not everybody, some people get way too neurotic about it. Mm. Um, was like, oh, okay. And then they would usually write back, but what should I do? Ah, cool. Now you're asking me what we should do, which means you are already bought in. Your odds of doing the action are a lot better. So I think splitting them into lifestyle stresses and training stress is probably the biggest thing. And I think it's useful in both, just depending on how you're using it. Uh, word of warning and caution though, especially people who are more on the training side, is I think you have to be careful the language that people use, just like you would with any, anything else, right? Because some people will try to use it as a reason not to train. Mm. And in general, I don't really work with a lot of those people, so I know the people I work with is pretty biased. But I just tell them, hey, we're going to measure this thing, and then as part of the contract, if you're working with me, we're going to measure it. You know, So if they don't like that, they're probably not going to do it. Um, so I think the interpretation, you have to be careful. Right, because it's that snapshot of that one point in time, it is a snapshot of, in essence, kind of one marker of fatigue. Right, so I've told this to people, even like physique athletes. I'm like, have you ever just slept four hours? You dragged your ass to the gym and you had like a really good session. Like most people are like, yeah, that's hmm. happened. Does that happen every time? No, but it happens more often than not. Right. So if I pulled your HRV score at that point in time, it'd probably be crappy but you were still able to execute a pretty good session. Now the catch is you can't do that day in and day out all of the time and make progress. And so again, I tell you, I was like, okay, if I take my little Jetta and I redline it, I can definitely get to the grocery store faster, right? Now, is that more stress on the vehicle? Absolutely. Am I gonna expect to do that every single day and drive like I stole the car and expect it to go like 200,000 miles? Probably not, right? So I just explained to him that, hey, yeah, you're looking a little bit more stressed today. Um, and if they don't have any experience with it, I may go, just do your normal training session and we'll see how it goes. Because some people, it might be fine, right? Especially people where their only stress outlet, for better or worse, is actually training in the gym. And if Betty's only training three days a week, do I really want to tell her to train two days a week? Probably not. But I also know we've got time on the other end in order to recover. Um, also for physique athletes, for which I've only worked with a, a handful on it with HRV. It's really good to tell you, especially when you're you know, trying to get stage lean, where you're at in that process, right? So if I've been working with you for eight months and we've got hypothetically just three months to get ready, you're already pretty lean, right? Pretty experienced athlete. If when you start that process, your HRV is dog crap, you're probably gonna struggle. Right, because what are we doing? Right. We're gonna add more volume, possibly. We're definitely pulling calories out. We expect that your stress level is gonna go up, right? Your whole goal is just to keep it together enough to step on stage, right? So if you start out very, very stressed, it's probably not gonna go well, right? Or if you've got a longer prep, and let's say it's six months, right? Someone who really has to get really lean is starting a little bit heavier. 
you're four months in and your your stress is like super high, man, you got you got some questions you need to answer, right? Are we gonna keep pushing this? Are we gonna change the date? What are we gonna do? And I think a lot of people, you can look at that by getting you know, results and pictures and all this other stuff, which is definitely yeah. useful, but you don't really have a good indication of where their stress level is at, right? You can ask them, how do you feel? I feel shitty. All right, well, I felt shitty yesterday too, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Do you feel that much more shittier than the day before? <laughs> it gets hard to try to figure that out. And then on the back end, right? So everyone's stress level is going to go crazy, especially with female competitors. I'm like, we don't even talk about you doing another show until you show me that you can normalize your HRV back to normal, right? Just like hormone levels, just like everything else. If you can't get your stress back to baseline again, I'm sure as hell not going to be liable for putting more stress on you. Now, if you've got multiple competitions and it's in a couple of weeks, that's a different matter. You know, but if you want to start doing like two shows a year, man, even that, I just don't think, especially in females, like the, the they can recover or you know, hormonal status and HRV and all that. But I've noticed without any data, I don't have any leverage. Right. Right. I don't have any yeah. indicator. They're like, dude, coach, I feel fine. It's been a month. You know, my body weight's kind of back to where it was. I'm, I'm good. I want to go again. And I don't have anything to say other than my professional opinion that, no, you're not. I can show them and say, hey, when you can normalize this physiologic value, which is 100% in your control, and it's probably going to take time, then we can talk about what we want to do next, right? But I don't want to be responsible for adding a continual amount of stress to you. And you may pull it off for you know a couple of years. But what I've seen is people can get away with it for maybe a couple of years, and then after that, those are the people I end up working with who are like, dude, I don't know what's going on. Like my metabolism doesn't respond. I got all these weird joint issues and training sucks. I have no energy. And most of the time, it's just a bunch of crazy stuff they've done in their past. Very interesting. I think it's when you talk through, again, for the physique competitor, um, I completely can see that where we almost, a lot of physique competitors kind of want to work harder and they just yeah, want to keep pushing it. They're the inverse it. of the normal population. Exactly. Like I need something to pull them back. Yeah. Like, dude, take a day off. No, bro, gotta go. You know, it's like, eh, that's good. But <laughs> anyway, you're saying. No, I was just going to say, actually, in terms of how do you collect the data? Are you, do you use, I guess there's ones that have the, like the LEDs within the, on the wrist or do you liking the kind of the strap around the chest? Yeah. So right now, and now uh, technology may change. The data that I've seen published that appears accurate is the chest strap. Um, like I use the athlete app, which has the old school kind of polar chest strap. Uh, most of that's relatively accurate. Uh, um, the, I have an aura ring. So aura actually will measure the vessel on the, the finger. And that's actually pretty accurate for HRV. The downside of that is it's aggregating HRV over the course of the night, which makes it harder to compare to some of the other published research, just because that's a new method of collecting it. And if your sleep changes, right, you're not grabbing that snapshot in the morning, you're aggregating over different time points, which can be a little weird. Um, if you have a dedicated sensor, I know uh, Jason Moore makes one for Elite HRV, uh, Athlete makes one that goes on the finger. Those have shown to be relatively accurate. Outside of that, eh, I get pretty nervous. I mean, I have a Garmin, which I love, but any optical off of the wrist, I have not even been impressed with heart rate, much less HRV. So you can look at the research, the optical on the wrist, you have to get through a fair amount of tissue in order to do it. 
And when you look at HRV, we have that spiky R wave. When I pull the electrical signal, it's easier to get that because I'm pulling that electrical, that EKG right away. If I look at other things like the hands and the wrist, uh, I got to do a little bit more work because I'm looking at pulse changes, right? So the heart contracts, it's putting out blood. And if you've got good equipment, you can definitely do that. In the lab, we used to do something called an endopath that was very accurate. Um, however, with the wrist, the heart rate especially is very delayed. So I, I just did this a couple of weeks ago because I had a client asking about it. So I did a normal routine on a rower. I put a chest strap on. Now, most uh, wrist watches, like the Garmin and other ones, will let you pair to a chest strap. So that's what I do when I do my training if I'm using heart rate. Um, so I left the chest strap off and just used the optical sensor on the watch. And my peak heart rate was about 30 beats below what it would have been otherwise. Um, and there's literature to support that. So in terms of just heart rate, especially at high heart rates where you have to pick that thing up fast, not super good. So I have my doubts that HRV off of the wrist, like the Apple Watch will give it to you, a bunch of other ones. I don't really trust them at this point. There's just too many technology obstacles you have to overcome. Um, I, th I think in theory, we may be able to get around it, but I really want to see published data on that first. Uh, some of them will try to use the camera app to try to get it off of the finger. You can get an approximate with that, although even then, I'm just not a big fan because the changes we're looking at for most people, especially for training, they're not super big, right? And a lot of those can get washed out in just the range that you're able to accurately report. Um, so, yeah, and I think that might change. I mean, I may change my opinion on that and you know, I've talked to people in Silicon Valley and other companies that, you know, definitely swear to me that they've got it all figured out <laughs> and the new algorithm can do it. And I'm like, that's cool. You know, maybe. But, you, you know, show me the research on it. Right. Compare it to what's considered a gold standard. Run them at the same time. And, you know, then we can talk about it. Because right now, yeah, what's called PPG, I'm pretty skeptical. <laughs> And I guess we've done a pretty good job of selling why HRV could be a really powerful tool. Have you ever had any scenarios of which it's been kind of negatively impacting? Maybe it's caused like a nocebo or so, I don't know, a placebo even. Oh, yeah. um, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, there's always going to be a placebo and a, a nocebo, right? So whenever I test kind of new stuff, I always try to look for a nocebo actually initially. So I've done some hands-on work. And initially when I started testing it, I went up to people and people that already knew old clients, kind of explained it to them. And I said, what do you think of that? They're like, oh, that's bullshit. That's never going to work. Perfect. Come on in. <laughs> because if if I can have a big enough effect size to overcome what they perceive as a nocebo effect, there's probably something there, right? If someone's like, oh yeah, that sounds amazing. Let's do it. Cool. They may get an effect, right? And that's probably a real effect. But I don't know how much of that is from a placebo or not, right? Because I'm just doing an N of one. I'm not running a randomized controlled trial, things of that nature. Um, I mean, I have talked to companies about trying to blind athletes to the actual data themselves. I talked to Dr. Ben House about that too. And in theory, it's a really good idea if you can get super motivated people probably for a study, right? So they just do the measurement. They don't see any of it. And kind of when we do it in the lab studies, that's how a lot of them are kind of done. The downside in the real world is that your compliance is not so good, right? You need a very highly motivated set of athletes in order to pull that off, right? Because most people are like, oh, what is it? How has it changed? I don't know. And especially if you're running a long baseline. So you may say, hey, I'm going to run this for eight weeks. 
we're not making any changes, you're not seeing any of the data, you got to be pretty bought in in order to, to pull that off if you're not seeing anything. Um, the other part, too, is athletes' response um, to it. Right. So now you may have some athletes who wake up and you're like, you know, like, for example, I just you know came in from Vancouver, Washington yesterday. So slept only five hours, got up and I may be like, ah, I'm pretty tired. I'm not going to do anything. Right. But I'm like, yeah, I have enough experience doing it. I just did a 20 minute session on the rower. Yeah, it kind of sucked, but I lived. HRV is a little bit better today. So from experience, I kind of know if I kind of pushed myself to do something moderately aerobic. I'm going to be OK. Right. So some athletes, you kind of have to learn what is the best training intervention, depending on how you feel. HRV really isn't any different, right? And I'll use it to kind of auto-regulate people's training. And some people, like, if it's red, I'm like, yeah, dude, definitely take a day off. Just go do some mobility, you know, meditate, sit in the sauna, whatever. Other people, I may say, well, you know, just go to the gym. Just do your warm-ups and see how you feel, right? And most people for red, I'm probably going to dramatically pull back on it. But if it's an amber, not a green, it's somewhere in between, it really depends on the athlete's response. You know, I have some athletes that I'll look at their program and be like, okay, cool. Uh, Wednesday is an easier day. Today's Tuesday. Just do your normal training and we'll look at it and see how you feel. Oh, HRV recovered by Thursday for your next heavy session. You're good to go. Other people, I can't do that. I'm like, all right, I'm going to cut your volume by 50% today. Why? Because I want to try to run this program for six to eight weeks, but I don't want to, you know, bury you in the dirt on week three. Right. And the reality is people have other lifestyle stuff that comes up, too. So it may have impacted their recovery. They're not robots. Um, so that's going to vary. The last part, too, is one of the caveats or, I don't know, crazy emails I get from people are like, I don't use HRV with competitive athletes because if if it shows red before competition, they're going to lose their mind and they're going to sink their competition and they're going to be all screwed. And oh, HRV is worthless. Don't ever measure it. And I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of continuums you got there. And in my opinion, if you don't know how they're going to react to a poor HRV or a red HRV, my opinion, you didn't do your job as a coach to prepare them. Because as you know, anytime anybody does any contest of any kind, something's going to go wrong. Like it doesn't matter what it is. Like most of the time, especially if you do it long enough, something's going to go wrong. You're going to forget something. You show up. I did some powerlifting events in the past. Uh, first one I ever did. I didn't know I was supposed to have a singlet. I don't know shit about powerlifting. <laughs> I hired someone to help me. He sent the email. I got lost in my spam folder. And I emailed him the night before. I'm like, hey, uh, anything else I need to know about the competition? He's like, you didn't get my email? I'm like, no. So I'm running around at 7 at night trying to find a singlet, you know, stuff like that. Um, so, again, just being prepared. So what I'll do with people is if, let's say, we've got 16 weeks before a big competition, whatever it is. could be even a physique competition. Um and they are eight weeks in and they get a red and it's supposed to be kind of a heavier training day. I may look at them and say, okay, it's red. What I want you to do is go to the gym and just hit um, what your openers might be or hit a max of, you know, single rep or three rep max. Uh, let me know how it goes. After you hit that for two lifts, just walk out of the gym. So what am I doing? I'm leaving the intensity purposely high but I'm cutting on the volume, right? Because I don't want to have this prolonged period for them to recover afterwards. And most of the time, especially if I know what their average is, and I know pretty good by this point in the program how they respond, most of the time they'll hit a PR pretty near close to it. Like, oh, wow, I got a PR by five pounds and 10 pounds. Awesome, sweet. So now I know that if it's like the day before the competition, 
So it's Friday night. They're, you know, powerlifting me to Saturday morning. They're like, oh my God, coach, I got like a, a red or even like the day of the meet. Like, that's okay. Don't worry. Right. Because you're probably a little bit nervous. That obviously will affect your HRV. I remember the last time you got a red like eight weeks ago. How did you do? Oh, I got PRs on both. Cool. You'll be fine. Right. Because the reality at that point, I don't really care about how much fatigue I'm going to impose on them because they could take the whole next week off if they want. Yeah. Right. I mean, after a physique show, you have a shitload of fatigue. But any intelligent person is going to go, okay, I got time to recover that and I'm going to be okay. Uh, with physique athletes, just the handful I've worked with, I usually tell them, yeah, you're probably going to be dog shit for weeks before you get on stage. The reality is nobody cares. Nobody cares what your HRV is when you're on stage in your underwear. Nobody cares. Right. So as long as you can just keep it together enough, just riding that kind of bleeding edge, we can just keep it together enough, you're, you're going to be okay. And it's usually an easier sell for them because it's not quote unquote performance based per se. Um, and they kind of understand that. The performance based athletes, it's a little bit of a harder sell. So, having done that experience before, and the reality is I'm not lying to them, right? This is an actual thing that happened to you. We did this experiment already before, and you did fine. Odds are you're probably going to be fine again. Yeah, I think the, the education behind the tool that you described there as a coach is so important. And again, I could take it back to the scale of like, it's okay. We know if your scale rises over the weekend, we typically see like a drop off over the week. Or if like yeah. you give them a refeed or a diet break and the scale does something, it's like, well, they're not going to stress out too much if you've done your job as a coach and educate them behind the tool that you're using. So uh, yeah, I really love that chat. And I think it's given people some new insights into HRV and its application. Something I did want to dig into as well. I don't know if you had anything more to say on that. Yeah, my only thing yeah. is, and I, I gave a talk at the Physique Summit a couple of years ago, man, three or four years ago now on HRV to a bunch of you know, kind of body, you know, high-end bodybuilding type coaches. And I had enough experience. I felt comfortable talking about it at that point. And my thought was like, this is going to be amazing, right? Because you think of like how detailed these coaches are and how detailed the athletes get. There's probably no other population with the exception of very rare elite athletes that are really that detailed, yeah. right? And, and I understand why, and you, psychology aside, um, I'm like, they're going to love this, right? Because I'm giving them a marker to see, you know, fatigue levels and about how far out they kind of are and how to manage it and how to know if you're pushing too hard on training, maybe if you overdid it on cardio, all these things. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, that was amazing talk. We all loved it. And like all the people I followed up with, I'm like, oh, did, did you do it? Like, what did you find? Right? Because I wanted more data, like, because you'll find stuff that I'll never find. People who work with more athletes. No one really did anything. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of horrible. And and I get it because it's it's almost the extreme of it's it's another variable that I don't know if I understand enough that I don't know if I want to add into the mix type thing. So I always explain it where it's it's not a, a thing that you're adding in, it's a state that you're measuring. Okay. Right. So I think we tend to think of stuff of, oh, let's you know remove cards, let's change this training, let's change that. It doesn't really have anything to do with that per se. It's just monitoring the state of the athlete, right? So I explained it to more physique coach now that, hey, if you could get a marker of the stress level that your athlete is under, granted, it's only autonomic nervous system stress, so it's not everything, but it's you know, pretty high up on the list. Would you do it or would you want to know? And most of them then are like, yeah, cool. That's all you have to think of, mm -hmm. right? So HRV is literally just that snapshot what is the stress on your autonomic nervous system at this point in time? And if you just keep repeating that in your head when you're looking at data, you'll kind of figure it out. 
right? And that's been helpful that a few more people have now started kind of playing around with it and stuff. So, yeah, I could see the, I guess, and you're completely right, like bodybuilders, physique athletes are like the, the anal to the ninth degree. It's just insane. Oh, yeah. But I guess that is the point of sometimes you battle with is more data better and then is there certain data I can sure. remove? And so I could see that being sometimes the hard sell of, okay, what am I prioritizing now? My carbohydrates, fats and fiber and whatever. Do I need to then collect more? And I guess um, sometimes, I guess you might even have had this for yourself. More data can end up stressing someone out even more and then it have the opposite oh, effect of what you're going for. Yeah, and that's the thing where it, like you said, like I love the analogy of the scale. I'm probably going to steal that. Right. But it's, it's the same thing. Right. So you, some athletes, maybe a prep, don't have a scale because it freaks them out. HRV is the same way. Right. It's it's not the thing that's bad. It's the response to the thing. Right. So everything being equal, I absolutely love getting daily weights from clients. Yeah. I, it's super useful. I can look at the variability changes. I can kind of see where they're headed. I can look at weight gain after a high carb day, all that kind of stuff. However, reality do I get it on absolutely every person I work with? No, because some people get on the scale and they lose their shit. Like they can't keep their state in check. So I'm left with, I will take less data because I don't, I can't quite get a handle around them managing their state with that thing yet. And if I can't do that or they're using it in a negative way, then the interim solution is I'm going to pull it out. But in the background, I'm going to still kind of keep educating them on it. Right. And I'm going to look for, okay, if their weigh in is only on Sunday, what is their response to it? Right. And again, just trying to get them into this sort of data stoic type thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. The scale doesn't say, hey, Bob, you gained three pounds. You're a lazy bastard. (laughs) No, it just says you're up three pounds. Right. You could have been on a plane ride, drank a bunch of water, ate salty food, whatever. Right. Could bazillions of different things. Right. So really trying to get them to remove that sort of state that's always connected with data. Because that's how your brain works. Like people are gonna do that on their own, but can we do that in a, a better way? And mm-hmm. HRV is is no different. All right. So if someone can't manage their state around HRV, then yeah, I, I may not use it for a period of time. Again, that doesn't mean HRV is bad. Yeah. It just means I need to work on their interpretation of of data at that point. Actually, on that point, can you use it? I mean, some people might use a scale and only weigh in maybe like, I don't know, three times a week rather than every day. Can you do the same thing with HRV or is it something you need to have consistent daily? Yeah, the minimum based on the research is four to five days. So if I have someone who can't give me more than four to five days, I probably won't use it. Because then you're really only getting snapshots, right? So they're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm only going to measure it on Tuesday. Well, Monday was your hardest strength-based day, highest volume. Of course, it's going to be dog shit on Tuesday, right? I would expect that to happen. But then they get stuck on, oh, my God, my HRV is declining. You know, it's like the client who only gets on the scale once a week on Monday after a weekend bender, right? You're going to constantly just be pulling your hair out, right? So I just move their their weigh-in period to like Thursday. Kind of makes my life hell. But some other time during the week that we can get a little bit more accurate representation if I can only get one measurement a week, right? In my opinion, the solution is education so I can get a little bit more data from them. And that obviously has limits, right? Mm-hmm. You know, these are people I've realized you can't spend our whole life you know, trying to monitor them like lab rats and collect everything possible. Um, but stuff that's relatively easy to gather now that is useful, um, I think that's good. So I tell like coaches like, hey, just write down what is your hierarchy of data you wanna get from athletes? Excellent. 
And what are like the big things that have the highest leverage? Right. Now, obviously, for a C competitors, it's gonna be some type of nutrition logging, some type of training. What is the stimulus they're putting in? For me, like if I can only get three things from people, what's your training? Some idea of your macros, and then I'll pick HRV. Like I'll even take that over body weight for most people, again, wow. depending on their yeah. goals. Um, if I can add body weight in again, like every day, boom, I can I can do really good just off those four metrics. Like I can go really, really, really far. Um, so I just tell people they may have different metrics depending on what they're doing. Like what are those things that you need? And what are the ones that you can't you're not gonna compromise on? Mm-hmm. Right. So to me, like if someone won't tell me what they're doing for training, I don't know. What do you what do you want to do with yeah. me? Right. And you know, if they're like a physique competitor or a weight class competitor and they won't tell me remotely what they're eating, I don't know. What you know, what do you want me to do? You know, so those are kind of like things that yeah non-negotiable. I can kind of live without HRV. I could live without scale weight. I could live without a few other things, right? So everyone just kind of make their list of what are the things that, yep, absolutely need these. You know, some other stuff is nice to have. And then just make your list, you know, all the way down. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got stuff on, you know, deep sleep from an aura ring or blood work and a whole bunch of other stuff, right? But I'm probably not going to start with that, mm-hmm. right? Because otherwise I'm like, Oh, your deep sleep was less last night. Well, there's variability around that metric. What's it really telling us? Eh. Useful at some point, yes. But if I don't even know what you did in the gym yesterday, not that useful, right? Yeah, I really like that hierarchy of information that you need. And I think that's a brilliant place for people to start. And actually, in this discussion, I guess there's a big focus on recovery or trying to reduce Mm -hmm. that stress. What are the biggest things you found or maybe even small changes that people haven't necessarily just considered to do to help with that? Yeah, so I think there's a, a general lack of education on recovery and even nutrition to some degree. Uh, probably not so much with physique competitors per se, but I mean, obviously I'm biased because I did a whole certification on it. So it's Flex Diet Cert. So if you just go flexdiet.com, you can find a bunch of info. Um, but what I did is I took like what I think are eight of the top interventions and then just did a um, series of modules on each one. So everything from protein, fats, carbohydrates. Uh, I think ones that are underused would be micronutrition, especially in physique athletes. We're kind of starting to turn that corner. I mean, the little bit that I've seen with some high level coaches. And I think it's because, yeah, do macros matter? Absolutely, they matter. Do calories matter? Of course, they matter. But if you look at a lot of nutrition logs from physique athletes, man, it's like Groundhog Day. And on some standpoint, I get it. Like if you're a physique athlete and you want to be extremely successful, should most of your days look like Groundhog Day? Absolutely. Should your main stressor in your life be training? Absolutely. However, I would add that fine scale variability, right? Just like heart rate variability. The first thing I do with someone who's on track, their weight loss is good, their performance is good and they're a physique-based athlete, the first thing I'll do is try to add some variability into their diet. And with some of these athletes, it's it's hard, man. They're like, bro, I always buy the same yogurt from the same <laughs> yeah. store. I get it on Sundays. So I got all my meals prepped on Monday. In reality, what I want a lot of those habits with my other clients, 100%, absolutely. Are they hitting like the big rocks? 100%, they're nailing it. But I'll even be like, okay, bro, I want you to buy a different kind of yogurt. They're like, what? This <laughs> yeah. is insane. This is the same macros. What are you talking about? You're a lunatic. I'm like, why? Because I want a little bit of variability in your diet. Like eat different colors, right? And just a real simple scan you can do is look at their nutrition. And how many colors do you see? Most people, you'll see two or three. 
right? So I know like phytonutrients, micronutrients, you're missing out on a lot. Uh, Chronometer will run a complete micronutrient analysis for you automatically if people are logging in there. It's a paid service. I don't make any money from them, but they do a pretty good job with that. Um, so that's what I'll look at with that. Uh, sleep is kind of a big thing now, which is useful. The biggest intervention I found with sleep is, I got this from Dr. Dan Party, is daylight AM sunlight. Yeah. Like So if I see someone's vitamin D score is low, if they want to share that data with me, my first question is not how much vitamin D do you need to take, is how little are you outside? Probably very little, or you live like me in Minnesota, and it's like the middle of the you know December or January or something, right? You could run buck naked, and you're not getting enough vitamin D. Uh, but most people are in warmer climates. Um, so I'll ask them, okay, how often are you outside, not behind windows and not behind sunglasses per day? And it's shocking like how many yeah. people are like, I don't know, I walked to my car a couple times, I walked to the gym, I do my cardio inside. I'm like, oh, man, you know. So what happens, right? So the, the back of the eye is connected to these uh, photoreceptive ganglion that go to the SCM in the brain, because the SCM is like the master clock that regulates circadian rhythm. So a lot of people don't sleep as much at night because their circadian rhythm is like all screwed up. So a new client just started. She's like, yeah, I just feel kind of really tired in the afternoon. I'm like, what time do you go to bed? She's like, oh, around 11, maybe one in the morning. I get up at six. Ah, let me guess. You don't feel tired at about 10 o'clock at night. She's like, no, I like try to go to bed early, but I'm just not tired. And I'm like, but let me guess. You have a hard time getting up in the morning and you're tired in the afternoon. She's like, oh, my God, how did you know? I'm like, let me guess. You probably are not outside a whole lot, are you? Well, not that much, right? And what happens? So those photons reset the circadian rhythm so that we're more awake during the day and we actually get more tired in the evening. Is what they call sleep pressure and there's an awake system. So during the day, you want to build up more and more and more of what's called sleep pressure. But the awake network, which is kind of governed by primarily adenosine, which is why coffee works well, also is pretty high during the day. So it makes you feel more awake. But when you go to bed, the awake network tones down so you have this massive amount of sleep pressure, which then makes you feel really tired and you go to bed and you sleep for a longer period of time. So instead of lecturing people now on like go to bed early and you know stuff on like limiting blue lights at night and stuff, I think is definitely useful. The first thing I'll target is I want you to get more sunlight exposure in the morning. Uh, like a recent article I read from Sachin Panda says even an hour of sunlight is probably better. Like I'll even say 20 to 30 minutes, no sunglasses. Uh, just get up in the morning, go for a morning walk. Now you don't need to stare at the sun, right? You don't need to burn your retinas. You don't need to do anything crazy. Um, those cells are actually primarily on the bottom part of the eye, right? So we're actually kind of set up to see sunlight from an overhead position. Um, so I found for sleep, that one makes a massive difference. And the reality is I want them to probably just get some light movement anyway. So I get hate mail for this, but I'm like, just do AM fasted cardio. Like, just get up, go go walk the dog. Just go for a walk yourself. What did you accomplish? Like, you're probably fasted, so insulin's lower. Yeah, maybe use a little bit more fat. Is it going to matter a whole lot of difference? Eh, we can split hairs later. But the fact that you did it, you don't have to do anything beforehand. You don't have to worry about what to eat, what supplement to take. Just put your shoes on, walk out your door. And you're going to get some AM sunlight exposure. And you're going to get it done before the rest of your life, you know, goes into whatever with work and sitting at your desk and your boss yelling at you and everything else. Um, so I think if people just did that, they kind of hit a lot of items 
uh, pretty easily with one action. Yeah, I really like the the daylight rhythms. I think Dan did a a TED talk on it recently. Yes, um, he which did. Is fantastic, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, Dan's great. Um, I yeah. even bought a. I ended up being really bad, and you may end up doing this with some of your clients. I bought a sad light um, to yeah. kind of get the sunlight because I, I don't end up getting much that early. So that definitely helped me a ton. Um, so no, amazing recommendations. I, I've really enjoyed the chat about HRV. Um, I think it's got some real application, even kind of for physique competitors that maybe some people haven't even thought of before, things I haven't thought of before. So really enjoyed that. And I, I want to say a massive thank you for you coming on, Mike. And if people want to learn more about some of the things you were talking about, um, you've got a great blog, uh, blog, a, a great, uh, yeah, blog uh, website yeah, where people yeah, can check I'm out. Old school. <laughs> and uh, where else should people kind of reach you? Yeah, so best two places are MikeTNelson.com, so M-I-K-E-T-N-E-L-S-O-N. Usually at the top there, there's a, some type of offer where they can get on the newsletter. Uh, probably like 90% of my content now goes out only to the newsletter. Um, I do have some articles and stuff on the site, so you can hop on the newsletter there. Um, also, there's a special offer if they are on their phone, hopefully not driving. They can actually text uh, 44222. And just text that, and in the line, just write Keto Ebook, uh, K-E-T-O-E-B-O-O-K. I'll send them a free Keto Ebook, which was a question of, you know, should I do a ketogenic diet or not? Which, again, may not be super applicable for some of your listeners, but I guarantee that if they're in this space at all, that's a question they're mm -hmm. going to get. <laughs> um, and if they're interested in the certification, we launched that about four times a year. And just go to flexdiet.com. Uh, F-L-E-X-D-I-E-T.com and they can learn more about it there and get on the wait list and all that fun stuff. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Fantastic. Thank you, Mike. And uh, thank you guys for listening in. Thank you.